0: How are you doing this morning? I love it. I love it. Well, these are certainly interesting and challenging times, are they not? It's a crazy world in which we live. The coronavirus is spreading. The national debt, well, that's rising. The economy is suffering. The definition of marriage is evolving. Classroom is transitioning. Everything's virtual. The election is looming. The country is dividing, and the church is asking questions. How are we to respond? How are you doing in this crazy new world in which we find ourselves right now? How's your family doing? Where, Where are you looking for help during these times? What expectations do you have of your family? What expectations do you have right now of the role of government? Or what do you think the church should be doing right now in response to all of these challenges? This morning we're continuing our series um, "Politically Correct," and um, and we're going to see that God created the family, the government and the church for a very specific purpose. All three have their um, origin in God's Word, and all three have very specific purposes, roles in which they're to play. But here's the deal. When one fails to do its role properly, the other two suffer. So for example, when the family fails, the government and the church suffer. Why? Because when the government fails, it's the job, or when the family fails, it's the, the government and the church often step in and play a role they were never intended to play. When the government fails, the family and the church suffer. When the church fails, the government and the family suffer. I think about just a couple of weeks ago when I was sitting in my bedroom and I was trying to get my TV to work, and I unfortunately have like five remotes for one TV I don't understand, Right, I've got an Apple TV remote, I've got a satellite TV remote, I've got a remote that comes with the TV and I think I have an old dusty remote that's left over from whatever I had before that's been sitting around. And I had no idea how to get my TV to work and so what does any dad do? They call in their youngest kid, hey, can you come help me get the TV to work? And so my 13-year-old daughter comes in and I'm like, hey, can you turn the TV on? And I show her all 20 remotes, right? And uh, she just takes my phone and turns the phone on and all of a sudden, whoop, TV works and everything's working like a chunk. And uh, I tell you that because what often happens is, is that sometimes we take remotes and intend for them to control things they were never intended to control. And so when you're looking for the government to play a role that it shouldn't play or the family or the church, it leads to problems. And so... We're going to look at today the origin of the family, the government, and the church. We're going to look at what each one's role or purpose is. We're going to look at the problems that arise when they fail to fulfill their God-given responsibilities. And we're going to talk about how God's design should inform your vote how God's design for each one of these should inform or impact your vote. Now, let me say four things up front. Let me set the stage. All right. We've been receiving uh, so many great questions over the past couple of weeks that many of you have asked. And I'm going to try to um, answer so many of your questions throughout my message. But, Based on many of the questions you're asking, I want to just say four things. Number one, my goal is to provide a biblical worldview of the three God-given institutions, family, government, and church. It is not to be exhaustive, but to provide a framework in which to think. I hope to change your paradigm this morning. And number two, some of you will think I am saying too much about the role of government. And others of you will think, I'm not saying nearly enough. And that is because some of you want the government to speak into everything. Others of you don't want the government to speak into anything. And my goal and my hope is to show you that the Bible is to inform our everything. And I know that those who want me to speak too much about the government will probably walk away a little disappointed. And those who think, man, we should never discuss politics from the stage, I hope to change your mind and show you that God's Word has much to say about government and politics. Third thing I want to just say to set the stage is, although this world is not our home, all Christians are called to seek the welfare of the city in which they live. Therefore, you should care about politics. You should care about the role of government. And because you are blessed to live in this country, you should exercise your right and your privilege to vote. And then finally in setting the stage, I want to remind you that God is sovereign over all. God is the one in whom all authority resides. He is the one who's sovereign. And every king every nation, every tribe, every individual in this room will one day bow their knee before God. Our hope is not in the winner of an election. It is not in the winner of election. It never has been. It never will be. Our hope is in the saving grace and the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hopefully of that, we could all agree. Now let me jump in. Let's, let's talk about first the family. And specifically, let's talk about the origin of the family. Where did the idea of family come from? Well, the idea of family came from God. In the very first book in your Bible, in the very beginning chapters of Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1, we see that the God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke both into existence. And he creates us in his image. We are unique from the rest of creation in that we can know God and we are intended to reflect his glory. He also created us male and female. Gender is not determined by man. Gender is determined by God, not our preference. In the creation mandate of chapter 1, verse 28, we see that God instructs us to multiply, and he tells us to take dominion of the earth. This means we're to cultivate both the social world, we're to have a family, we're to create schools, we're to educate people, but we're also to cultivate the physical world. We should pursue technology and medical advancement. We are stewards of creation, and we have an opportunity to steward it reasonably and responsibly. But in Genesis 2.24 specifically, we see the institution of marriage and the beginning of family. Genesis 2.24 says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So a family on its most basic level is a man and a woman united in marriage for life. Family is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea, and he is the one who defines it. So what is the purpose of family? The purpose of family, in one word, if I could simplify it, is to provide. The purpose of family, according to God's word, is to provide. Specifically, parents are to provide for their children, provide guidance, shepherd their hearts, Help them understand how God's word applies to everything they do. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, a passage that's probably familiar to many parents out there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, God's word is to inform everything you do at all times. And the parent's job is to shepherd their kid's heart so they recognize how his truth relates to every aspect of their life. That's the role of a parent. purpose of the family is to provide. The marriage is to provide a model of God's love for his people and his people's love for him. Ephesians 5, 31 through 33. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, Paul says. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ephesians 5.25 says it like this. says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Which begs the question, how did Christ love the church? He loved the church by giving himself sacrificially to the church. Sacrificing his needs, his desires to ensure that the Others' needs were met before his own. He gave sacrificially. Husbands, you are to love and lead your wife in such a way that her needs are met before your own. That's God's intention. Peter even goes on to say that husbands, when you fail to lead and love your wife, as God calls you to, that your prayers are hindered. That is an amazing responsibility. And an incredible And wives, your your job is to respond to that love in such a way as that you encourage, pray for, and follow that husband so that he can be all that God created him to be. That's your role. And together what happens is is that it reflects the model, the relationship of God's love to the church. So marriages are to serve as a model. Families are also to provide basic necessities. The basic necessities of food, clothing, and shelter, that is the role of a family. It's the family's job to make sure you have everything you need in most basic provisions and necessities in life. Notice what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5. He says, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make sure and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Who's to care for widows, family, kids, grandkids? He goes on in verse 8 of chapter 5 to say this, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's family's job to provide the basic necessities of food, clothing, and shelter for those in their home. That's your role as a family. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 10 through 12, Paul even goes on. He says, for when when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now clearly Paul is talking about those who are able-bodied and of right mind. And what he's doing is he's addressing the laziness of those who are refusing to work. And so he says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness or laziness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Passage after passage makes it clear The family's role is to provide. And the family is God's first line of defense in making sure our basic needs are met. Now, when the family fails to fulfill its God given role in providing, all sorts of problems break out. There is an absence of what God intended absent fathers, absent mothers. There's not enough of a provision to care for those in need. There's not a model for people to follow to better understand the love of God. And we don't experience all that God intended for us. Not only is there an absence, but oftentimes for many of us, we experience abuse. Physical abuse, emotional abuse. All of that is contrary to the will of God and contrary to his original design and what the family is to provide. How are you doing, church? How are you doing families in being the model and the source of provision for those under your care right now? Parents, how are you doing it? Living in such a way that your kids are growing up going, man, that is the kind of marriage I want to have someday. Parents, how are you doing it? It, leading in such a way that your kids want to know more of God because of your example and students how are you doing it honoring your mother and father the purpose and the role of family is to provide and when the family those in the family are not provided for so many problems occur your vote, friends, should support candidates who hold to and support the biblical understanding and values of family. Why does all this matter in our political world? Is because your theology matters. How you view the family matters. How the government responds matters. Vote for the definition of marriage. Vote for the definition of marriage. God created the family, as I said before. Therefore, only he has the right to define it. But as you know, in this country, in 2015, the Supreme Court ruled same-sex couples nationwide have a constitutional right to marry. That's not the government's job. The government doesn't define family. God defines family. But nonetheless, the government played a role It was never intended to play. We should vote for the dignity of work. People who are able-bodied, right-minded, they should be incentivized to work and not dependent upon the government. That's not the government's job. It's first and foremost the family's job. The family is the one who's to provide for those in need of help and basic necessities. And when the family can't do that, it is the church's job. It's the church's job to come and to care for families who can't care for themselves. That's our responsibility as a faith community, which I'll unpack more in a little bit. Vote for the equality of people. Vote for the equality of all people because all people are created in the image of God, male and female. And have equal dignity, value, and worth. Despite skin color, ethnicity, gender, age, intellect, or socioeconomic status. Every one of us is created in the image of God. Every one of us. And has equal dignity, value, and worth. And so we should vote also for the sanctity of life. Vote for the sanctity of life according to God's design. Children in and outside of the womb are a gift from God. And we should vote for the sanctity of life, not just for lives in the womb, but we should protect the rights of the elderly and the most vulnerable amongst us, despite physical or mental or emotional challenges. We should reject euthanasia. And we should reject any idea that marginalizes those who are emotionally or mentally challenged. They are created in the image of God. We should also vote for parental rights because it's the parents' primary responsible, as I said, for guiding children, for educating them, for disciplining them, and caring for them. Do you know that in 2019, the Supreme Court of British Columbia, Canada, ordered, by court order, The government ordered that a 14 year old girl receive testosterone injections without parental consent in 2019. The court also declared that if either of her parents referred to her using female pronouns or addressed her by her birth name, they would be considered guilty of family violence. Not making this up. That is a government that is not playing the role in which God designed. In 2019, the National Assembly of France voted in favor of an amendment removing the terms mother and father from forms in the nation's schools. Instead, using the terms parent one and parent two. It's not the role of government. And it's coming here in so many ways in the United States. The role of the family is is to provide. And when the family fails to provide, there is an absence of all that God intends. And often on the other extreme, there is an abuse. And God's design should inform the way we think about family and the way in which we vote. Well, what about government? What does God's word have to say about government? Well, let me, before I jump into the origin of government, I want to address a couple of questions that we received, and it's so important for me just to kind of set this aside and, and, um, and explain something to you real quickly. When, when you read your Bible in the Old Testament, you've got to recognize that God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and the United States is not Israel. The United States is not Israel, and we as a church are not under Mosaic law. Now, there are principles that we are to derive from God's relationship with Israel that we learn about in the Old Testament that help us and should inform our way of thinking and about the role of government. There are principles that we should derive, but we should not equate the Mosaic law with the way in which our government should enact legislation. That's a mistake. Secondly, what I want to do is I want to tell you that it's often been asked, does the Bible endorse socialism? People look at Acts chapter 2 in the way in which the church cared for one another and it was often asked, well, hey, does this mean we should support socialism? And the answer is no. No. We should not support socialism and your Bible doesn't teach it. Acts chapter 2 is the church caring for the church. It is not an endorsement of a particular type of government. So It's so important that we recognize and we learn how to read and interpret and apply God's word so that we don't make those mistakes. Just like family was God's idea and he had a specific purpose for it, so is government. Government is seen at the very beginning of your Bible. The origin of government is in Genesis chapter nine, verses five through six, so that the context of this is, is just after Noah's flood. And the Lord repeated the creation mandate to, to Noah to, to fill and to subdue the Earth, like I explained before, and He empowers government. He establishes government. Why? To protect human life and to prosecute, to punish those who take life. That was the role of government. Genesis 9, 5-6 says, And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So the primary purpose of government is to protect. Family is to provide. Government is is to protect. The government is to protect its citizens from internal and external threats, to provide a strong national defense and to prosecute crime. Well, why do I say that? Well, because Romans 13 says that. First Peter says that. Romans 13, one through five. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. That's how God, that's how Paul describes the government, as our servant for our good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. In other words, he's there to protect. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Paul goes on, or Peter goes on in 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 through 14. Stick with me. He says, he goes, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to do what? To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Government is God's idea. Government is God's servant to protect us and to promote what is good. The government is to protect the economy, Through fair taxation. It is the government's responsibility to tax. And it's our job to pay the taxes. Romans 13, 6 through 7, we're called to do just that. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. Again, servants of God, ministers of God. For our good. Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to who honor is owed. So the government's job is to protect, protect us from internal and external threats, protect our economy through fair taxation, for the common good of everyone. The government's job is also to protect religious liberty, I just want you to mark down Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. There's so much. If I, if I could unpack one passage, it would probably be this one. It's Mark 12, 13 through 17. And this is where Jesus says, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And clearly what Jesus is establishing here is there is a lane in which the government is to operate, and there is a lane in which the church is to operate. And when one tries to do the job of the other, it leads to problems. The government is to protect religious liberty. It is also to protect the common good of all people. The common good of all people. That includes its own citizens and the immigrant. You see this modeled, you see this exemplified in Acts chapter 22, when Paul, who is arrested, Claims the right of a Roman citizen. He says, hey, I appeal to Caesar. I have rights as a citizen. And that is the job and the responsibility of government to protect the rights of every individual citizen. It's also the role and the responsibility of government to care for the immigrant. This doesn't mean you can't have immigration laws. It doesn't mean you can't have borders. It does mean that our laws should reflect the compassion and the heart of God. Like I said, there's principles that we can draw from the Mosaic law. In Deuteronomy 10, we learn of God's love for the immigrant, for the sojourner. He says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner. Therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So the primary responsibility of government is to protect. But when it fails to do so, all sorts of problems arise. When you have a weak government, anarchy and chaos reigns. And when you have a consolidation of power in too few people You have a dictatorship, which leads to disaster. An oversized government leads to a welfare state in which its people are overly dependent upon government for their basic needs. And when you have a corrupt government, it leads to a class system where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And that's disastrous. The government's role is to protect all citizens such that that doesn't happen. So you should vote and support candidates who hold to and support the biblical understanding of values of government. You should vote for a strong national defense. That's the role of the government. You should vote for equal justice for all people. The government has a right to defend itself from foreign threats. And the government must enact laws that protect the rights of all people and executes justice without partiality. Without partiality. I would encourage you to vote for a strong economy through fair taxation. The government has a right to tax people and corporations, but it must do so fairly and not be beholden to special interest groups, but consider every individual. Vote for religious liberty, which I'll talk about more in a second, but vote for the common good of all people. The Lord expects government to protect the rights of individual citizens and calls us to have compassion on the immigrant. We live in a country where we are so blessed And I so, I want to encourage you to give thanks to God that every one of us has an opportunity to vote. Every one of us has an opportunity to go to the polls and freely vote. Which in so many nations, they never have that privilege. And we shouldn't take it for granted. Vote. Secondly, you should voice your convictions. You have the opportunity to contact those who are in leadership. voice, what it is you believe. You should not sit silently. You should speak up about the role of government, the role of family. You should speak up for religious liberty and the protection of the church. That's the privilege that we have living in this country. And I want to encourage you to volunteer. Volunteer to support candidates who hold to biblical principles and biblical convictions. Even more so, I'd encourage you and to volunteer to run for office. Someone in this room, run for your school board, run for your city election, run for office. Don't just point at the government and go, that's their problem. Look at all that's happening out there. But you have the opportunity to run and we need more men and women to represent us in city government and in local elections. Run for office. So the the families primary job is to provide, and and government's primary job is, is to protect us. Well, what's the role of the church? Well, the role of the church, well, let me start with the origin of the church. There's always been the people of God. From the very beginning, you see people calling upon the name of the Lord. You see a godly line. You see God preserving the godly line. You see how God is calling all people into a relationship with himself. But the church specifically begins in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, when Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, in Acts 1.8, he promises that the Holy Spirit will come upon them, and they will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the remotest parts of the earth. And in chapter 2, you see the fulfillment of that, where God's Spirit descends upon them and now lives in them in a unique way in which he had never lived before. And that is true today. For every one of us that trusts in Jesus Christ, You become the church. The church is not a building. It's not a time in which we meet. It's not a religious hour. The church are the people of God. You and me empowered and dwelt by the spirit of God to be ambassadors for Christ. His hands, his feet on this earth. That's what the church is. And in Acts chapter 2, unlike any time before, the spirit of God lives within the heart's Of men and women who profess faith in Jesus Christ. You are the church, friends. And our job, the church's job, is to proclaim. It is to proclaim, number one, the way of salvation. That is our job. First and foremost, To tell other people how they can be rightly related to God. To help them see their need for a Savior. To understand they can't do or earn God's love. But it is a gift that is to be received because of his grace. We proclaim the way of salvation. That's not the government's job. That's our job. The church's job. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, says this. Jesus says, but who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying? It's not that he's building the church on Peter. That's a wrong interpretation of the text. He is building the church on the profession of of Peter's profession, on the gospel. And those who proclaim the gospel have the the church has the keys of heaven so that people can be rightly related to God. The purpose of the church is to proclaim the way of salvation. Secondly, is to proclaim the truth of God. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 that the, that the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. And friends, all truth is God's truth. And the Bible informs every area of our life, not just what we should believe about God, not just about how we should um, respond in church. It's to inform everything we do. And not only are we to proclaim the truth of God, but we are to proclaim the love of God through action. This couldn't be more important. 1 John 3 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. When, as I said before, when someone's family cannot provide their most basic needs, it is the church's responsibility to care for them. And that is why it has been said on this stage numerous times, if you are a member of this church, you will never go without food, clothing, and shelter. If you're a member of this local body, we will provide your most basic needs, because that is our job in caring for you. We're the hands and feet of Jesus, game. And when the church fails to fulfill its God-given responsibilities in proclaiming the truth and living out what God calls us to live out, it leads to all sorts of problems. It leads to licentiousness where we don't hold to the objective moral truth of God's word. We give each other license and and we live however we want, not anchored and rooted in God's truth. Or the opposite extreme, we live by legalism. And we, we paralyze people with a burden that they're never intended to carry. Love is to mark the church, not licentiousness, not legalism. It is the love of Christ that compels us, Paul writes. So your vote should support candidates who hold to and support God's design For the church. So, vote for the protection of religious liberty. This is so important. The Bill of Rights affords us that. The government must make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise of religion. This means two things it prevents the national establishment of religion, and it prevents the government from interfering with the way in which we live out our faith. That's what that means. Now, based on questions many of you asked, I want to address something. I want to address the idea of the separation of church and state. It's a term, it's a phrase that is used often. But so often, people don't realize that is not in the Constitution. Do you know that? The separation of church and state, you're not going to find that language in the Constitution. Where did that come from? It was originally written by Thomas Jefferson to a Baptist congregation, and his point was not to protect the government from the church. His point was to protect the church from the government. See the Bill of Rights. He had no intention of separating religion from public life or from politics. We've got to understand what that means and what it doesn't mean. The Bible should absolutely inform our politics and everything we do. Secondly, questions were asked about the idea of legislating morality. Have you ever heard, hey, you cannot legislate morality? You ever heard that before? Well, this typically just means, let me me tell you what the interpretation of that is. It just simply means we shouldn't make laws based on your morality, but on mine instead. That's what that means. Because all laws reflect someone's morality. You have to see that. The question is, whose morality are we legislating? And our responsibility, as Todd has set up here so many times before, and I would commend you, listen to the Declaration series he gave years ago. Is our responsibility is not to impose our religion on anyone, but to propose a better way, to be the church and to live in such a way as that we are the salt and light that God intended, the ambassadors for Christ. So vote for the protection of religious liberty and vote for the protection of free speech. The government cannot and must not prevent God's people from declaring the truth. But sadly today, there's a movement to equate many biblical ideas related to sex, gender, marriage, the way of salvation, to equate it with hate speech. And nothing could be further from the truth. As Todd has said before, the truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. But love rejoices in the truth. Vote for the protection of faith-based schools, charities, adoption agencies, and medical clinics, which are literally being shut down right now. Why? Because of their religious convictions. Friends, there's, there's three institutions: family, government, and church. That. God has given to us, one, to provide for us, to protect us, and to proclaim the truth of God's word. They're meant to be a blessing. And whenever one institution fails to do its job, it threatens the health of the other two. And let me just state very clearly, so many people have asked, well, what do I do when I don't like either candidate? Or what do I do when um, I don't like any of my options. Well, welcome to earth. <laughs> Family is going to let you down. Government is going to let you down. And church, unfortunately, is going to let you down. This is not our home. But we have a perfect heavenly home. Father, and let me help you see that your future, despite the fallen world we live in, let me tell you what your future is. Let me remind you of what God's word says. Jesus says in John 14, he promises he goes to make a home for us where we will experience the blessings of a perfect heavenly father. We have a home that awaits for us. Secondly, there is no perfect government or form of government on this earth. But as believers, we are citizens of heaven, first and foremost, as David talked about last week. And one day, Jesus Christ will return and reign on this earth. And one day, in the eternal state, we will be citizens with him in heaven. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and all authority resides in him. He is the only one who is sovereign. And we have a future of a perfect government because we serve a perfect king. We will be citizens of heaven. And finally, gang, you've got to recognize that regardless of any persecution we might experience in the future, any rights that might be taken away from us because of government laws or legislation which are completely unbiblical and the government overextends its role wrongly, you must recognize the church will forever be victorious because the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Period. And all the challenges that I listed before when I started this message, nothing is preventing you or me from being the church, the hands and feet of Christ. Family, government, and church, they're all gifts from God. All, unfortunately, in this broken world are marred. But we have a hope, and we have a future, and we have an opportunity to be the church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there's so much to share about what your word has to say. That, That... message is just thick with content, but it's so important we understand what your intention is for the family, what your intention is for government, and for the church, and that, and that we as um, members of a family, and we as citizens in this country, we as believers are a part of this church, we have a responsibility, and it is not simply to complain about what others are doing, but to fulfill our role. It is to be faithful in providing for those who are closest to us and caring for their every need as much as we are able. It is our job to to speak prophetically to the government, which so often oversteps its bounds and fails to play the role that it's called to play. It's our job to be citizens on heaven here on earth as ambassadors for Christ as Paul describes us, representing a a perfect, righteous king. And it's our job to be the church, to be your hands and your feet to a dying world that so desperately needs to know the hope and love of Jesus Christ. Would you help us to do that, we pray, in Christ's name.